things up a little bit every year. Welcome to another live edition of Open Mic on Facebook and YouTube. We were just on for an hour plus with a couple of reporters who've been, you know, following this and one who was in handcuffs last night. And now I'm excited to have Chief James Craig on the, uh, of the Detroit Police Department, who's in the middle of this. He just had a long press conference. And Kevin, I think we should go right to him. What do you think? Yeah, I can't imagine how uh, difficult a uh, job this is for his police officers and for him. And so I want to hear it right from him, uh, the horse's mouth, what they're doing, what's working, what's not. Let's let's have the chief jump in. Okay. Welcome. Yeah. Oh, thank Welcome, you. Well, glad to be here. And uh, I got to tell you, let me first start by saying that uh, the men and women of the Detroit Police Department are some of the best of the best. Yeah. I mean, you can't imagine... Uh, the barrage of insults, and I'm not talking about from the protesters, those who were lawfully assembled, uh, to, certainly to express, you know, uh, their anger, which we all share over the senseless death uh, of the gentleman out in Minneapolis. And so, with that said, in addition to just the insults, and this is by a small group, uh, the attacks, being attacked um, with um, railroad spikes. I wish I, I showed one during our press conference recently. I wish I had brought one up. But a good size uh, railroad spike, that if, if it hits an officer, it could the officer could sustain pretty substantial injury. Um, fireworks, uh, we arrested someone last night through a live fire, uh, like a M80. Uh, at an officer who was seated in a vehicle. Uh, that person was arrested for felonious assault. And so um, it's been a challenge, but uh, when I look at cities across America, uh, it's something we're doing that's working and I'm certainly not saying it's over and we can relax. Uh, I'm just happy that some of the relationships that we've built over the years, uh, our protesters, Folks that um, have been activists and community leaders are standing with us, and they're really assisting and mitigating some of the violence uh, that you probably see in other cities. Yeah, the videos that we've been watching have been, you know, crazy from around this country. But focusing on Detroit, you know, I have not seen any major um, acts of looting or fires. There's been no um, looting. There's been no fires. Um, the first day on Friday probably was in some ways the most active day. Uh, several police cars were vandalized. Uh, one of our captains uh, was hit by a projectile, a small boulder. Uh, he uh, suffered a concussion. Uh, he's been released from the hospital but still recovering. Another officer got hurt uh, in the shoulder. And so, uh, but all in all, We've had few injuries to officers and few injuries to protesters uh, because we're using non-lethal, the gas, uh, rubber munitions that uh, don't sustain, uh, you know, to sustain critical injury. 
Chief, I was watching uh, Minneapolis that first day and uh, the third precinct burning, and it, it, it just breaks your heart. Uh, can you take us inside your, uh, your your briefing room or your war room as as you guys decided to, to put a plan together to make sure that didn't happen in, in Detroit? Well, I'm a student of uh, looking at what other agencies are doing, especially in something like this where we're not the only ones that's fighting uh, against uh, these criminals who embed themselves in protest groups. Uh, there are some similarities, uh, which is identical here as it is in many cities, DC, Los Angeles, um, Philadelphia, Chicago. Uh, many of the people that are the, uh, and I don't wanna really call them protesters. Uh, they embed with protesters and then uh, they begin to engage in criminal activity. Uh, whether it's the um, using of projectiles to attack police officers, destroying property, uh, breaking into businesses. Uh, and so some of it, what you see the images in other cities, uh, some of it's contagion. Uh, the one thing that we have seen here in Detroit is our community has denounced it. Everyone's angry, extremely angry over the death of Mr. Floyd, extremely angry. I'm angry. And so we support uh, the protesters that are out there protesting, but I cannot and will not support those who are embedded, who come from generally outside of the city of Detroit, the metro area, or even in some instances outside of the state, who have another agenda. And their agenda is to be not only disruptive, that engage in criminal behavior. What do you say, Chief, to the people who say that they need to turn over cop cars or bust a couple windows to be heard, to have some real change, and that, that just peaceful protests aren't gonna make that change? What do you say to those people? I say that uh, the end, you, you don't accomplish much. Uh, we think about Martin Luther King and his nonviolent agenda. He got more done. He wasn't tipping over cars. Yes, he got arrested. He wasn't engaging in criminality. No violent crime. But yet, what do you accomplish tipping over police cars and destroying property? And, and again, uh, I want to put a face on it because here in Detroit, I can't speak definitively about some of the other cities. How do you honor Mr. Floyd's life if you're looting? How do you honor Mr. Floyd's life if you're burning down buildings? Uh, I don't know how you do that and you're not doing it. So basically you're engaging in criminal behavior. You're not, you know, uh, celebrating the life and, and the cause. It's okay to chant and scream and be angry, but it's another thing to attack police officers with weapons. I'm seeing uh, protesters who want to be heard, Chief, and I'm seeing instigators who want chaos. Uh, how do you decide um, how you're not going to allow the instigators to win, to take over? There's a sort of, in other cities, we're seeing this mob mentality. If the mob uh, becomes bigger than the police presence, then we see complete chaos. Um, so to stop that, you have to be somewhat aggressive. I mean, we are seeing some um, aggressive policing in Detroit, but, but, but it seems to be working. 
Well, I'm not going to sit back and let mobs create an unsafe environment. Bottom line. Now, if we're overrun, that's one issue. But in the instances that we've dealt with, you know, we're patient, we're professional. And if, in fact, we have to deploy non-lethal devices to maintain control and safety, we provide several warnings that we're going to deploy, in, in our instance, gas. We warn, we're patient, we're professional. And if one chooses not to vacate, then what do we do? Particularly when we're still taking projectiles and our officers are being struck. Would some prefer that we do nothing and just stand there? Would some prefer that, like the, the horrible image uh, I saw in Philadelphia, where one block, they were looting stores, burning police cars, and there were no police in sight. Now, there may be a reason for that. Maybe the police officers were overrun. I don't know. But I do know this. What message does that send? And is that what the average citizen wants? The average citizen wants justice for Floyd. I agree with that. But they don't want it in that manner. Uh, look, I was on the front seat of the Rodney King unrest. And I remember when then LAPD decided to vacate an intersection where the mob mentality took place, where Reginald Denny got beaten and where others were pulled out of their vehicle. They had taken over the intersection, taking over, they were looting from a, an adjacent uh, liquor store, but there were no police in sight. They had taken over. That is not what we want. And we know the reasons behind that, or at least I do. There's a lieutenant that made a decision to retreat. How do you retreat and put people in direct harm's way? You just can't do that. Yeah, there are some scary images coming out of New York City when the, when the police officers are bashing through the, the, the crowd of protesters. We, yeah. actually, we actually saw a couple of images of Detroit police officers pushing a couple of people to the ground that I know you probably saw on social media, which and is we're, distressing. And, and we've opened an investigation into that because we understand the critical nature of what we're dealing with. But what we won't tolerate internally is when officers engage in, in misconduct. Um, we will open an investigation, which we've done and make a determination if the officer's actions were proper. Now, I can't tell you at this point in the investigative phase if there was something that led up to that. I can't tell you if the officer was trying to gain control of someone who was showing resistance, uh, but it certainly uh, looking at the video caused me concern and uh, we've opened an investigation. One of, the, uh, one of our Facebook watchers, who's an attorney who I know pretty well, asked this question, Chief. He wanted me to ask you, have we been able to determine whether the individuals perpetrating the crimes are organized or coming from outside third-party groups rather than those seeking to genuinely protest? So I won't get into what I could know uh, because we are dealing with our intelligence partners. 
Uh, what I will say there, they are organized uh, based on what they're doing. Um, they're using two-way radios to communicate with one another. And so they're very coordinated uh, and they're certainly, in our estimation, not here to uh, revere the life of Mr. Floyd and uh, the tragic killing at the hands of a police officer. They're not here for that, especially when they come into the protest venue with weapons that they can use against police officers. Well, is this a political thing or is this, I mean, I can't, I'm trying, I can't wrap my brain around. You don't have to tell us who the people are, but is What's coming, the motive? I mean, there's people coming from, yeah, the motive, but are these, is it political? I'm not gonna, it, as I've done with uh, uh, other journalists, I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail. Um, I'm not gonna do anything that's gonna undermine uh, the work that's being done, not just here. Uh, there are some similarities uh, when you look across this country of the embedded criminals who are inside of a protest footprint. Uh, and they're the ones that are provoking and engaging in some of the behaviors that we've seen. Now, that doesn't mean that all of them, because we've seen what appears to be people from the neighborhoods, but what's made Detroit, uh, in my judgment, so different, uh, Detroiters, are denouncing this type of violence. But what you have, uh, all of the arrests that we've made, we know that probably 70% or more live outside the city of Detroit. Many of them uh, live, uh, come from cities, uh, neighboring suburbs, or Metro Detroit as it's called. Some have come from out of state. So if your agenda is to protest, I'm sure your city has people that are protesting uh, over Mr. Floyd. Then why don't you stay home and join that protest? And let's not forget uh, that uh, COVID-19 is still alive and well. And if you run around with a sign that says Black Lives Matter, and if they truly matter to you, and you come to the city of Detroit, which has the highest population of African-Americans, and you truly believe Black Lives Matter, then how come you just don't stay home when, when uh, statistics have shown that African-Americans are, are three or four times more likely to contract a deadly disease, one and coming from one who was a survivor, but not only contract the disease, but die from the disease. So then why don't you stay in Canton, Bloomfield, Novi? I can go down a list of places where everybody's from if you like, uh, but the vast majority are not from the city of Detroit. So the million dollar question, are you protesting the Detroit Police Department who has a great relationship with its community? Or are you here really to protest Minneapolis? Or do you have another agenda? And is that other agenda, well, we know it's criminal based on your behavior. I am telling you, I've had so many conversations with so many Detroiters, and they are appalled. They're angry. Did you see that one story where the the uh, uh, a Detroiter, I believe, stopped somebody from vandalizing and looting the Nike store? I've heard reports. That's not the only report. I've heard a number of reports where uh, Detroiters have. Uh, 
injected themselves in stopping uh, violence or crimes uh, said, not here. This is not what we're here for. You know, we in the Detroit Police Department feel the pain of the family of Mr. Floyd and those in Minneapolis. Many of our officers feel that pain. And, and so we embrace it. We support their right to free speech. I will not support the other activities that represent criminality. Chief, the, um, you, you're talking about finding out the motives of some of the people who are, who are down here and, and what they're trying to accomplish. There's a lot of media out in the city of Detroit trying to find those stories too, trying to find those answers as well. And there's, there's been some conflict between police and the media. There, there seems to be some sort of disconnect in the communication. Um, reporters uh, reporting getting phones slapped out of their hands, having rubber bullets shot at them. We talked to Christine McDonald just a few minutes ago who was handcuffed and detained uh, temporarily. Um, I'm not sure the general public understands what it's like to be a police officer and not know what's coming at you in the dark of night like that. I, I, I do understand that because I talk with police officers all the time. But what what is the what, what communication can happen to improve the relationship uh, between the media trying to cover the story and the police trying to keep everybody safe? Well, as a matter of practice, I think when you were out and about, uh, this department enjoys a, a above average, I think, relationship with the media. Uh, it is unfortunate and we feel bad when our, our media uh, friends uh, get caught up and maybe becoming injured, whether they succumb to gas, maybe struck by a uh, non-lethal rubber munition. Uh, those things concern me, but equally concerning is when I have officers on the front line and they're trying to discern um, what is going on, and all they know they're taking projectiles. And so they have one thing uh, in mind as a create safe, a safe environment. They're not saying, well, if anyone's here uh, from the media, please raise your hand. Uh, no, but what we do do is a matter of precaution uh, we make several announcements before we deploy any uh, type of force. And in this instance, the deployment of gas, munitions, we advise because we want those who certainly don't want to be afflicted by what's coming next. And, and we're very patient. Um, again, we are in the process, uh, the mayor's office and my office is working together to create some type of identification so that officers can more readily identify uh, folks from the media. We hate to see that happen. Uh, and I value the relationship and value our ability for them to share the story. But here's the other thing, Kevin, and you know this well, when you're out and you're in a field situation, whether if you're deployed with a, a military unit covering uh, a battle scene, you're at risk, you just are. Uh, if you wanna go out in a footprint where violent protest is uh, occurring, you're at risk, maybe not from the police, maybe from individuals that are in the footprint. Uh, we had a person shot and killed uh, on Friday, I think it was Friday, 
uh, not necessarily uh, in the footprint of where the, the core protests were occurring. Uh, but I talked to a, uh, a reporter who was nearby who was taking cover. Uh, so there is a certain risk. And, and so I think one of the things that we can do more of is expressing uh, care and, and use caution when you make a decision uh, to be up close and personal to cover your story. I know yesterday uh, I was out and went uh, into the footprint where the gas was deployed. I donned a gas mask and certainly many in the media did not. This is very strong gas and, and many were afflicted by the gas. So I understand that, but that's a conscious decision um, that so many make and I ask them, are you okay? Uh, we don't want any harm to come uh, to folks that are not involved in any criminality. It's just that if we're giving a lot of warnings, then you can do one or two things. You can stay, cover the story, or maybe move to a position where you might be safer. Chief, um, in the last hour, the, the governor basically lifted the stay-at-home order. Um, I'm wondering if that's going to change anything in Detroit. And have you set a curfew or the mayor, has he set a curfew for tonight and any plans for the rest of the week? Uh, we have a curfew again in place. Uh, we're going to continue to evaluate um, the curfew day to day. Um, again, when you look at Detroit, uh, again, I emphasize we're not seeing an abundance of Detroiters during these protests committing criminal activity. Emphasis on that. Not Detroiters generally. Chief, perhaps more than any police chief in America, you are out in the community with the people. I mean, you really are, are talking to people. Are you getting a sense that folks are mad about George Floyd's death. I, obviously, everyone's mad about that. Are they mad at the president? Are they are they mad at all about what's happening at DPD? Or is this all anger about what's happening in a bigger systemic racial issue? Uh, what, what is your sense of, of of what you're seeing in the in the community where where you're policing? Generally speaking, they're not so much mad at DPD. I mean, this is about the police. It was Floyd who was killed by a murderous cop. So that's the focus. Uh, There's some other issues, of course, um, when you talk about just societal issues uh, that come into play. Uh, but again, who's coming to Detroit to protest? And those who are coming and who are engaging in illegal acts who are they? They're not Detroiters by and large. And, and I think that's a, a conversation that's avoided by many of your colleagues. But if you want to have a real discussion about race in America and, and, and talk about equity, we can have that discussion any day of the week. Let me just be clear. I've been doing this for 44 years. I started policing in 1977, 10 years after the civil unrest here in Detroit. The police department certainly did not look like the community that we were serving. And frankly, I wasn't welcome here. But at some point early in my career, I made a decision 
and probably by the nudging of my father at the time, he said, if you want to change an institution, you got to stay part of it. But I knew more than that, I needed to lead it. So the appropriate tone. So I've worked very hard throughout my career to make sure I was the kind of leader that would set the appropriate example. Are we going to have bad police? Absolutely. But it's how we respond to that. They have bad doctors, bad teachers, lawyers. It's how you respond to it. And so what we do here in Detroit, I've been very transparent. I don't run from the bad. And the community responds to that. That's how you build trust. This is not a thing where we hide and we try to, well, I don't want to talk about that because that's going to show ugly mark on this police department. Just like I was one of the first police chiefs, if not the first police chief in America, it came out within 24 hours of this incident and I made the statement. I said one thing, he should be arrested for murder. Now, it was easy for me to say that. It wasn't a type of investigation where you had to put the case together. But when you see that video, and when you see the fact that this officer had a neck restraint, and you could see that the man was not offering any resistance, you could see that he was saying repeatedly he could not breathe. Uh, onlookers were uh, suggesting the same thing. His cowardly partner did nothing and just stood there. And as some of the onlookers wanted to advance in an effort to save this man's life, they couldn't out of fear that they may be retaliated against and the officer killed. My point is this, police departments, police officers, we don't charge. Don't let them come in. But what we can do is based on probable cause, we can make the arrest. And I've arrested over the last year, three officers based on probable cause. I didn't say, well, we gotta do a long investigation. Sometimes you have to do that. Due process is, is, is very important. You know, but there are changing. times where the community expects you to treat a criminal officer the same way you would treat a criminal in the community. Same way, no difference. If anything, an officer is held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's one reason, I think that's one reason why you, you are so respected and, and you were one of the first to come out and say this was clear cut and it was clear cut. That video doesn't lie. I had a question about the, the neck restraint that you mentioned. Um, is that a, is that a, a hold that is uh, banned in the, in the city of Detroit or is that something that can be used in certain circumstances? The, I'm not familiar with that type of hold. Can you talk well, about the, that for a minute? Yeah, the neck restraint uh, in the Detroit uh, Police Department is prohibited. The upper body control hold that uh, that is only used in deadly force situations. So it's on the same level with the use of uh, a firearm. So that's the only time you can use an upper body control hold, which was formerly called the choke hold. But the neck restraint is totally prohibited. Now we looked at the policy in Minneapolis, and they have a policy that says a neck restraint can be used. However, 
It can't be used on someone who's not offering resistance. I mean, how do you have a handcuffed man on the ground and you're applying pressure to his neck and while he's not moving and just simply saying, I can't breathe. And you can see in the video that he's literally putting increased pressure down on, on Mr. Floyd's neck. And he's not offering any resistance. I call it murder. Yeah, the video. Uh, you, you can you can attach murder two or murder, murder three, but it's murder. It makes no sense. The fact that there's these other officers there that they could have easily. That's called a coward. That's called being a coward. You know, I didn't always sit in the office like this. I worked in the field. I remember very distinctly as a field training officer in Los Angeles, working in South LA, when we initiated a traffic stop. And in during that traffic stop, there were three young men that we went to investigate. Uh, as I was talking to one of the young men, I looked over my shoulder and my partner, who's in possession of when police used to carry these large size flashlights, a kale light, was getting ready to use it on one of the occupants of the vehicle. Now, your next question might be, well, what was the occupant doing? Was he threatening the officer? No, he was doing nothing. I ran up and grabbed the officer's arm so he would not strike this man. Was that a popular decision to make? Probably in the 1980s, one could probably say it wasn't a popular decision, but I was always gonna to try to do the right thing for all the right reasons. And so I stopped it. And he told me that he was gonna go back to the station and tell everyone I was a coward. Well, who's really the coward? I only tell you that because sometimes as a police officer, you're accountable for your partner's actions. You don't get to look the other way. You don't get to do nothing. So I guess this one officer, the one who's most notable in that video, he turns his back away and knows and hears Mr. Floyd screaming, but does nothing. But it's the onlookers who I praise. It's the onlookers who are the heroes in this, not these complicit officers we should be fired as well. And thank, and thank God for the teenager who videotaped this because you and I both know this could have been a different uh, outcome had we not had it all on tape. But he was so comfortable with his criminal act. It begs the question, it makes you wonder, uh, has he done this before? Good Maybe point. it didn't result in death, but has he done this before? He was not at all moved by the community's cry, not at all. He wasn't moved. The, the, uh, I, I couldn't see the other police officers, but certainly um, the, um, the one officer didn't flinch. At some point he walked over there. What he should have done is grabbed his partner and pulled his partner off of this man. What are you doing? It's a good point that 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 they knew they were being videotaped. I assume it doesn't uh, matter. No, no. I mean, when right, I was out there in the eighties, right, there was no videotape. He didn't care, is what you said, and I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Neither of them cared. Ne they they didn't care. They didn't care. And so, 
It's no wonder why Minneapolis is angry, why the country's angry. Uh, because when you look at this situation, and, and I don't know, but I'm, I'm hearing some, um, some conversation that uh, Minneapolis um, doesn't enjoy a, a real great uh, relationship with this community. I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm hearing it. And, and so a lot of times these things happen and this is the flashpoint that triggers uh, what we see going on in Minneapolis, but also around the country. But again, we have provocateurs who are taking advantage of this horrible situation. Again, I applaud the country standing up angry and saying this cannot and should not be tolerated. We want justice. However, we can't support and condone looting, rioting, uh, felonious attacks on police officers. That's over the line. Chief, I feel like uh, America. I feel like America is angry because they see this happen, and everybody uh, discusses it, and then everything goes back to normal, and then it happens again somewhere else, and then it goes back to normal. It happens again. And how many times are is the African American community or people of color supposed to say, um, "Well, you know, we'll all right, we'll restrain ourselves uh, right now because uh, because we think change is being made," but we see that change isn't being made. And I'm wondering, are we is change being made, and we're not getting that story, or, or that story is not being told, or no, are we not changing at all? And we have to really rip this thing apart to to fix it. I think we've made tremendous progress uh, in this profession. Uh, again, I started at a time when uh, things were very different. Um, police departments, in some instances, were viewed as occupying occupations. Uh, occupying armies, if you will. Uh, there was no relationship with the community. Uh, I, I can remember as a young police officer here, you know, Detroit was forward thinking. Uh, there was some erosion over the years, I can tell you, but in terms of its relationship in communities, um, many stations, uh, that was an opportunity to bring beat officers closer to uh, the community. Um, I mean, and then also the fact that the first African-American mayor, you know, did something that is talked about a lot now, but, you know, ensuring that the city of Detroit reflected that the uh, composition of the police department uh, reflected the composition of Detroit. Um, and so those were things that were done then, but when you look at changes that have made uh, the profession it's come a long way. It's a high risk uh, profession. Uh, mistakes are going to be made. Uh, but when you talk about systemic pattern and practice issues where, you know, things are happening, uh, um, all departments are not created uh, equal. We've seen the complaints, the attacks on uh, African-American men by law enforcement across this country. Um, but again, uh, unfortunate that we have a police department that uh, really uh, understands and welcomes uh, the community, but that doesn't mean that uh, someone 
can um, a police officer will go out and make a bad decision. I investigate. I have fired two officers, two African-American officers that use excessive force. To me, it's not the race issue. It's a police issue. Although there is a lot to do with the race, but I fired two African-American officers for excessive force. And of the two, one was charged with a crime. And so it doesn't mean that all police are bad because they're not. You can't just paint, paint the entire profession one way because there are good police who are committed uh, to working in partnership with the community. And I think people understand that we're getting lots of nice uh, comments about you, Chief, and the way you're running things. And Thank somebody's you. pointing somebody's pointing out that they really appreciated the Flint sheriff's um, move where he took off his vest and he took off his gun and he knelt and he, you know, walked and marched with them. What, what was your uh, feelings on that move? You know, you know, I've done similar things. I have not done it in this instance. That was a question was asked of me during the press conference. Uh, I have no problem. I share the same anger with the vast majority of the protesters. However, what I don't share is to those provocateurs or individuals who are committing crime. Uh, I'm, I'm just not accepting of that. I'm not accepting of someone who tries to loot, burn, uh, attack police officers. Uh, for me, and, and so I draw a very distinct line there. That doesn't mean that a person making a mistake, I'm not sensitive to want to sit down with them at the appropriate time. But if you're in the middle of a protest venue and you're hurling uh, uh, these heavy metal spikes at police officers, uh, that's a bad situation. And if you saw the size of these spikes, and so uh, I heard an interview he did on a local radio station, I'm talking about the sheriff, and he made a comment to me or to me, said, think I'm doing a good job here, but that I should consider, um, forgot how he framed it, but suggested maybe I should consider doing more. Well, first of all, I work in the most challenging city in the state of Michigan. There is no other city in the state of Michigan, let alone many cities in this country. And I applaud the work of our department and the work that we've done repeatedly in the community and embracing this community, including many of the activists and protesters who stand with us now during this situation. That says a lot. So is the key tonight keep people safe uh, to go home when the curfew starts, uh, to, uh, to, to follow the orders of, uh, of police? Because we're seeing actually protests during the day that are very enriching. I, I mean, they're uplifting. We're seeing families that are out there um, protesting what happened to Mr. Floyd. But when dark comes, it trouble comes. Uh, it's not necessarily dark, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Let me just say this. Um, I'm going to say it again for the, I don't know, maybe the 10th time. We support the protest. It is uplifting. We support it. We embrace it. I'm angry over the death of Mr. Floyd. Angry. But you can't do it. It's not uplifting 
many of the protesters who came just to 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 allow their voice to be heard are troubled by the criminal acts. They don't want to engage in that kind of activity. They just don't. And they have told us. And so to the folks by and large who are peaceful, absolutely, we can walk hand in hand. But that group, and this is not just unique to Detroit. This is something that is common. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at something in- Those are the spikes. Those are the spikes, Chief, that were thrown at police officers. Yeah, that, that, those were smaller smaller spikes. The one that Where are they getting spikes, Chief? That doesn't make it, I mean, are these the, the, the alleged weapons that are being brought in from out of town? Like we're hearing about pallets of bricks coming in. Is that- uh, what you're I, don't know, I don't know where they're coming from. Uh, I'm just saying that here's a common theme in most of these major cities where unrest is occurring. Uh, the provocateurs, the agitators, not the protesters, are, are not living in the city where they're protesting. That's a fact. It's been talked about, and we're seeing the same situation here uh, in Detroit. But you've alluded to that. You've said that a few times, and I know you don't want to get into your investigation. But what not are you? Do it. What are you? Not, al- not do I'm it. getting. I'm chief. I don't understand, and maybe I'm dense. But what are you trying to say? That that I know you're saying that the people from the suburbs are coming. Some 40, 50 percent are coming down to to protest. But what's the end game? Like I can't. I, I'm. I'm. What's the end game? Why? Uh, I think you can answer that question. And, and let me be clear. I want to be so crystal clear about this. People coming from the suburbs of protests, just for the simple reason to engage in peaceful protests, we're not saying they're criminals. There is a small number of individuals, call them what you will, criminals, provocateurs. I don't know. It just happens that the people that we're arresting who are engaging, and we haven't arrested them all. They don't live here. They don't live in Detroit. Some don't live in the state. If someone from Oakland County wants to come to Detroit and peacefully protest, that's fine. I mean, certainly we're we're concerned about COVID. I mean, we are still battling COVID. We, We still would prefer that uh, people stay home, I mean, because there's no safe distancing or social distancing. Some are not wearing masks, so we're still fighting COVID. And I already went through my concerns, uh, again, and having been a survivor. But, so I'm talking about a small group. This does not reflect the majority of the program. We, we've had uh, groups of about 1,500, 2,000. And then when you break out the troublemakers, the ones who are engaging in criminality, it's pared down to maybe 250 at times or more. If you're coming to a protest with bricks, railroad spikes, um, fireworks what are you here to do mike this this is not a heavy lift 
I mean, if you're coming to a protest that should be peaceful and you're bringing bricks, what are the bricks going to be used for? When you're protesting police officers because of the murder of Floyd and you come into a protest venue where police officers are and you make a decision to take one of your boulders or your railroad spike and start throwing it at police officers, what does that say? Were you here because you're really in it so your voice could be heard? This crime didn't happen in Detroit. I mean, I'm asking you. Maybe that's the budding journalist in me. Maybe I'd like to hear from you. Tell me what you think. Why would someone come to a protest with boulders and an ice chest or railroad spikes? Why? Do, do you think do you think they do you think they just want to see the chaos or do you think they are anti-police or do you think they're anti-African American? All of the above? Who could be anything? You'd have to maybe you can get one of them on your podcast. Well, you know, obviously, yeah, what my confusing part is the people coming in from out of town talking like out of state. And if there are people from other counties of Michigan coming down to cause trouble, uh, you know, that's that's confusing, too. But it, I, I can't get a handle if it's if, if it's just political, if there's some political group that's trying to send people to Michigan with bricks and, and spikes to make us look bad for is this a again, a. a I'm going to let me go through this. Let me kind of walk you through this one more time because I think it's important for me to do so. Detroit is not the only city. You want to talk about Philadelphia? You want to talk about Los Angeles? Let's talk about Chicago. These are reports that are being made available that people are being arrested don't live in these cities. So... Is it coordinated? Yes. They don't live in those cities. So one day, oh. somebody will have an answer. Yeah. Well, the president talks about making Antifa a terrorist uh, organization or something. Uh, it's not even an organization, really. It's a, uh, it's a, I don't know what it is, some sort of movement, I guess. But, but it's, it's clearly seems coordinated around the country. Well, that's a, an astute observation when you look at uh, the behaviors. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, attacking police officers damaging police property, taking over police stations, burning police stations. There are some similarities. There was an effort here locally, we believe, uh, an effort to take over one of our sub substations. And so there are some similarities uh, when you look at, you know, things that are happening. This is why I pay attention to what's going on in other cities. Uh, you look at what's happening in Washington, D.C., uh, yesterday it was Philadelphia, and I'm not sitting here on a on a throne and think that things are great. I mean, I, I give tremendous value to the relationships we have built in our community and how they're standing with us and how they have declared they're not going to tolerate violence and they're not going to tolerate outsiders coming in here stoking flames. That's coming from them, Detroiters, proud Detroiters said, we're not putting up with it. 
So one would think, because Detroit historically has gotten what? The bad rap. But guess what? And this is not gloating, but the violence that you see here pales in comparison to some of these other places. Again, I'm not saying it couldn't happen and it will not happen, but I am saying that what we have found so far, it's not Detroiters. Yeah. Well, on that note, we, we hope that it stays peaceful. I hope so. Peaceful, and, and we think you're doing a good job and, and keep it up. And I'm going to, I'm going to end this so you can get back out there and make sure that tonight goes smoothly. Good luck tonight. Uh, we wish all you officers to be safe as sure. you as well, chief. Thank and you. thank you for coming on again to open mic. Appreciate and, uh, we look thank you. to having you on again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Be thank safe. You. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. On my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts.